You know, I wanted to, uh, <clears throat> you know, actually I was going in a different direction, and the Lord, I believe, compelled me to stay on the subject that we have been on. You know, in, um, it's not on your overhead, uh, but Isaiah 54, 2, uh, just a powerful scripture that really sprang off the pages to me for uh, every time I read it. It just, it's like, it's like a scripture that has open-ended, unlimited possibilities and so many applications. And the application, you know, when we think about it, the passage reads like this, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Uh, your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in desolate cities. Now, I've, I've received that application for the church of Jesus Christ. And in general, the, the, the greater uh, church of Jesus Christ universal, but also for the local church. And God uh, gave me this scripture many, many years ago, uh, and he gave me the interpretation of that prophetic word that came from that passage is that he wanted us to extend the borders of our dwelling, of our church, of our building, our physical structure. And uh, God burned that into my heart for a number of years, that this was his direction, this was his call. Now, I'm not a patient person, so when, when I receive a word like that, and as the leader of the church, and charting out the, uh, the future of the church for the board and for the uh, congregation, um, you know, it's, it's like, we, you know, I want it done today. God spoke it, so it should be done tomorrow, right? Well, you know, God takes us through a process, and the process is, is one that where we learn and where we grow. You know, from our difficulties and from our challenges, uh, from the barriers and the roadblocks and the times when uh, our, we get detoured, uh, it's frustrating. Somebody say amen. It gets frustrating. And, uh, and then we take it, uh, but, you know, the end of the process is that God says, remain faithful, keep your nose to the grindstone, keep walking, step by step. I love what Andy uh, used to say, and he still says, you know, when there's a huge project, he says, well, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. You know, you don't eat it in one big chunk, you eat it a bite at a time. And in the same, you know, in, in the process of our uh, messages here that God has really burned in my heart for the new year is growing in Christ, growing as a believer. When you receive Christ as your Savior and you're born again, when you repent of your sins and ask Christ to uh, come and take lordship over your life, it's not the end in itself. It's only the beginning. It's the key that unlocks the door that leads you into the abundant life that God desires for each one of us to have. And it's not a life of drudgery. It's not a life of uh, a burden or an onus of rules and regulations, but it's a life full of yes and amen. As God wants us to grow up in him so that we can enjoy the full benefits of the salvation that we receive when we trusted in Christ. And I don't know how to put it any other way. It just, it just it, it grieves me when I see Christians who are living halfway and they're accepting that as the norm, and it's not the norm. They struggle, and they, they, they squirm, and they complain, and then they drop out, and then they drop back in. And it's like, you know, get your feet on the ground and start walking forward, and when you fall, get up, dust off, and move on. We don't quit. And that happens 
listen, people want to quit when they stall in their relationship with Jesus. You and pastors have moral failures and fall. The common thread is that they stopped having a daily devotion and they started searching the Word just to get a sermon or a Bible study for their next public service. They think they're too busy. They're just overwhelmed. They have difficulties sometimes at home that add to that fuel to that fire. But the common thread is Dr. Archibald Cox uh, a, uh, was a uh, well-known, renowned psychologist on staff at Focus on the Family and the other staff psychologists said that uh, when we went to a conference there, a pastor's conference 21 years ago. We need to keep growing. You know, not just, not just congregation, but the pastors. we got to grow. God spoke to me a word in December of the year. God, what do you want to say to this church? And God says, I want to say to you. Well, what about the church? No, I speak to you first. In Revelation, there are seven angels of the seven churches of Asia Minor that the letters were written to from Jesus. And uh, somebody... You know, theologians believe, and I believe this as well, angel simply means messenger. And when God speaks in Revelation about the seven angels over the seven churches, he's talking about the pastors. He's speaking to the pastors. And God says, I'm speaking to you. You need to, you need to grow. You need to engage in a growth program. And so I've been engaging in that growth program. I have been more faithful than I have been for many years. I have sought the Lord more than I have for many years, and I want that for you as well. Because it's not just for me, it's for us. That the church of Jesus Christ in Calvary Church uh, that God has sent me to pastor, I believe God has something greater and more incredible than we can even imagine or even hope for. God is not done with this church. He has a future and a hope for it. He has a call for this church to accomplish greater things in this community and spreading our influence throughout the world. That's why the board primary goal was and was to hire a full-time family pastor because we want to minister to the needs and help with the discipleship of the entire family beginning with the children and up with the parents and the grandparents. You know, things around here are going to change with a full-time family pastor, especially somebody like Renee, who, who is just always tank full of gas. And I don't, I don't mean hot air or anything like that, but she's got a passion. And she loves those kids, and she loves adults. She loves families, and she's going to give it all she's got. But the parents have to get on a growth program, too. You have to get in gear. I'm tired. You know what makes me angry? Losing our children to the world. That makes me so angry. There's a few things that really make me angry. And you say, well, Pastor, you shouldn't get angry. No, the Bible says be angry and don't sin. You can be angry, but don't sin. Righteous indignation. I'm angry. I get angry when folks in church, local churches start fussing and fighting with each other and gossiping and backbiting and split the church down the middle. I get tired of people in churches who think that they're the church boss and they know better than the pastor, better than the board, or you have a board member who's off on his own agenda pulling against the others and going in a different direction. That's divisive and it's devilish. We work together. We pull in the same direction. We respect one another. And in the body of Christ, there's no room for gossip and backbiting. I don't care if somebody rubs you the wrong way or not. You better get over it and forgive them just as Christ forgave you, or you may be in jeopardy of losing your forgiveness. That's part of growing up in Christ. It's a school of hard knocks sometimes. 
They say, well, isn't there an easier way? Well, the easiest way is for you to get into the Word and study the Word and find out about God, find out about what He expects of His believers. And stop thinking that you are the center of the universe. Now, I don't know if I'm talking to anybody here today, maybe online, but I'll tell you, we are a selfish culture. Everything is, revolves around us, you know. I love what Pastor Roger told somebody more than once when he was here. He was very blunt, former youth pastor here and my associate. He told somebody once, he says, you know, you need to understand and realize that besides yourself, there's a couple other billion other people on the planet. And I thought, boy, that's kind of blunt and cold. But I thought, well, that's who he is. He's, he's not trying to be a smart guy. He's just trying to wake him up. You know, it's, it, some people wake up easy and other people need a slap, you know. So growing in Christ, I believe it's a theme of God has burned into my soul for 2022. Grow in Christ. You know why? Because we're going to have to be prepared for every good work. We're going to have to be prepared prepared uh, for the challenges that the enemy and the strategies that he's going to array against us. And, and if you're not prepared for that, when it happens, not if, but when it happens, when you're taken, you're, you're going to fall, and this is going to be a hard time getting back up off the ground. So many people, when something goes, doesn't go their way, they blame it on God. Well, I'm just not going to serve God. What good does it do to serve God? What good does it do to pray? Well, listen to me. You know, you can blame God or you can get up and say, hey, I live in a fallen world and I fight this battle. It's a spiritual war. God gave me the tools for success. It didn't mean that we weren't going to get hit and sometimes blindsided, but get back up. Your loved one, your child has turned against God. Get on your knees and fight for him. Don't give up. My goodness. It's time to pray, not complain. You know, storm heaven's gates. Approach the throne of God. Receive the mercy and grace that God promised to you. But we don't give up. You know who gives up? Weak Christians. Weak Christians who can't understand why something bad might happen to them. Well, my goodness, if rain falls on the just and the unjust, the Word of God says. But the difference with the child of God is we have an umbrella. Come on. We have a protection and we have a God to turn to when trouble comes. And he will help us, he will comfort us, and he will walk with us with the trouble. And while we're doing that and cooperating with him, uh, our character will develop and will become more pleasing to God, and the aroma of Christ will permeate and spread out from us to other believers to, and to other people in the world to realize that, hey, they smell like Christ. problem with a lot of weak believers, they don't smell like Christ, they smell like something else. I'm not going to say, but sometimes I wonder, have you been walking through a cow pasture? Did you scrape your feet off? You know, we need to grow up in God. And, and uh, Ephesians, Paul talks about that. Paul talks about it. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Notice he's not saying it with his own authority. It's not Paul's opinion. He's being anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit to say this to us, not just back in Ephesus, back in the day when Paul was living, but to the 21st century church of Jesus Christ, to every believer. And this is what he says in the authority of Christ. Live no longer as Gentiles. Now, when he speaks about Gentiles, he's talking about people outside the faith. He's not talking about Gentiles. He's talking about people outside the faith of God. 
He says, don't live like outsiders. Don't live the way you used to. And he says this about the culture, and I think it's relevant to this culture because this culture, uh, they are hopelessly confused. Has there ever been a more confusing culture than there is today? I mean, read the newspaper, watch the news, and then don't watch the news because it'll mess with your mind and you'll start getting confused like everyone else. Keep your mind focused on Christ and on His Word. When you see all these things, these terrible things, look up. Don't look down. Don't throw up your hands in despair. Throw them up in praise because the God of the universe is still seated upon His throne, ruling and reigning with Christ at His right hand. Don't let fear or confusion overtake you. Don't blend into the culture. Don't be hopelessly confused. And he goes on to say that their minds are full of darkness. Think about that. Full of darkness. Darkness. Evil. Horrible things. That somebody in a car would decide that they are going to get in a car and drive down the parade route and run people over to kill them because you hate Christianity and you hate Christmas. Motivated, stimulated, manipulated, and energized by a demonic anointing to murder, to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the enemy has come to do. It says their minds are full of darkness, evil. Every kind of evil is considered normal for today. God help this nation. The forces uh, arrayed against us of the enemy is to destroy our republic uh, and our democracy, to turn it into a socialism and communism and anti-Christ, anti-God political philosophy, but it's really a demonic philosophy. We need to pray for our nation. We need to speak up and stand firm on what's right in this world. And he goes on to say that they wander far from the life that God gives because they have done what? They've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. You know, uh, you can speak and the Holy Spirit, when you're speaking and telling people about the gospel, uh, the Holy Spirit moves on that person. The Holy Spirit moves on you when you share the gospel, when you speak the word of truth. There's an anointing that is from the Holy Spirit that energizes your words and brings power to them, conviction to the hearts. But a person, every person has a gift from God uh, from conception and until death. They have a free choice, a free will. God has granted us a free will. God doesn't force anyone to love him or to serve him. He wants us to come willingly with an open heart and to love him and to serve him. Uh, But the Holy Spirit does move. His conviction is real and it's there. But when a person chooses to harden their heart and close their mind, you know, it's like water being poured on a rock. It doesn't penetrate. And that describes this culture. Truth no longer is a virtue. You hear what I'm saying? Truth is no longer a virtue. Truth doesn't matter to the evil to the left in this culture, in this world. They don't care about facts. They don't care if you have it down listed in bullet points with references and citing your sources. It's all based on their feelings and what I believe. You're believing a lie. Well, it's my truth. You hear that? 
I'm just telling you that the world is like, that's why we need to grow up in Christ so that we can withstand the strategies of the enemy. Thirdly, they have no sense of shame. Have there ever been a time in this country that was founded on the precepts and principles of God's Word when there was no shame about anything any longer? I read you know, a couple of professors from major universities uh, have finally, after it should have happened immediately, so very swift, but they were finally taken out of their position because they were propagating and promoting pedophilia as normal. Why did it take the administration so long to do something? You know, we have uh, in our public schools, our children are subjected to, on the reading list, a couple of books that deal with pornography and perversion, homosexuality, pedophilia. And there's no shame they're arguing why we should not take those books out of our library. If you send your children to many public schools and the local area, I understand, is no different, is that there are staff and teachers who are promoting homosexual, lesbianism, and transgender as normal. We live in a dangerous time, people. I'm not trying to be depressing, but our growth should be a top priority because we're going to have to be strong courageous believers with the Word of God hidden in our heart and translate that faith and pass it down to the next generation, generation after that, to teach them what truth is and what lies are. And you're going to get called all kinds of names. Well, I don't want to be called names. I don't want to stick out. Well, it's time for you to stand with Christ and stand with the church of the living God. There's no sense of shame in this culture. They're not embarrassed. There's no red faces anywhere for anything any longer. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly, say eagerly, eagerly practice every kind, every kind, every kind of impurity. It's an indictment against our nation, the day in which we live. Verse number 20 says, but, say but, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Aren't you grateful that truth stands out? And the darker the world gets, the brighter the light of Christ and his words stand and shine. He says, you didn't learn this about Christ since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. So, he goes on, stop telling lies. Let's tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You want a foothold in your life? Then have uncontrolled, unrestrained anger. If you have anger, turn it over to Jesus and ask him to give you deliverance for it. But you have to exercise an act of your free will and exercise self-control and make a choice that I'm not going to get angry. If you're a thief, quit stealing. You say, well, Christians don't steal. I beg to differ. Uh, Many, many years ago in my secular field, my work as a district sales manager, uh, I found out that a born-again Christian, very strong young man of great principle, taught Bible studies at his church in Kansas City, and 
you know, witnessed everybody, talked about the Lord, and uh, and always complaining about the company, though, which drives me crazy. I don't, you know, I don't know what good that does except create bad morale for everybody else and a bad example, but complaining all the time. And um, he took some sick days off, and they went in to inventory his merchandise that was on his route truck and found out that he had hidden underneath a, a box of uh, uh, salted nuts, or, you know, he sold nuts and chips and things like that, but under there, there was uh, several invoices that, uh, that had, where he'd been paid cash and were hidden under there. I'm sure because he saved the invoices, he was planning on turning the cash in, making it up later. He was probably borrowing in his mind, but they said he stole. Don't steal. Somebody says, you know, uh, stealing, well, that's a broad definition. Uh, how about stealing time from your employer? I mean, you take that. I'm going to mess with you a little bit here. <laughs> you know, you give give a full day's work for full day's pay. Be faithful. Have a good attitude. So if you're faith, quit stealing. And instead, instead, use your hands for good hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Give. You know, a strong Christian... A maturing Christian, a growing Christian, is, is generous. It's a giver. He's a giver. She's a giver. You see a need. So using your hands to make enough for yourself, but also enough to share. And here's one for today's culture, and even within the church, is don't use foul or abusive language. You know, that's kind of hard sometimes when we live in a culture that is so profane and so filthy in their talk. But don't. Let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Be an encourager. And verse number 30, uh, and the fifth thing, is do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. In other words, don't grieve the old King James, New King James. Don't grieve the Spirit of God by which you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Remember, say remember. Sometimes when the Word of God says remember, I take my ears perk up because I thought, what does God want me to remember that I might forget? Remember, he has, what has God done? He has identified you as his own. I love that. Guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. I belong to Jesus. Do you belong to Jesus? Uh, I don't care how things, how rough they get here. I know that I have a home in heaven prepared for me, but in the meantime, God has called me to live a life of victory. A life of victory and a life of helping other people along the way because I have a home in heaven and I believe if you're saved, you do too. And number six, uh, verse 31 says, get rid of all, say all, bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as, say all, types of evil behavior, all types. Somebody who's a legalist would look at this and say, okay, I have to get rid of uh, bitterness, rage, and anger, and harsh words, and slander. But when the Holy Spirit moved on Paul to put all, he meant everything. Not just some of it. And, and, and somebody would say, who was a legalist mind, said, well, I have to get rid of that, but there's other things that he didn't point out. Well, he did point out all types. It's all-inclusive, okay? And he says instead, aren't you glad that God tells us, he doesn't just tell us to stop doing something, but he tells us what we can do that will bring a blessing. This stuff will bring a curse to your life. It will thwart your growth. It may even shipwreck your faith. But instead, if you do this, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as, say just as, God through Christ has forgiven you. Just as. Forgiveness. A growing Christian. There's a whole bunch of things here about growing Christians. I can't deal with them all because I think the Holy Spirit, number one, 
you know exactly because he teaches us, leads us into knowledge that will set us free. You need to apply what fits, and if it doesn't fit, that's fine, that's good. Somebody say amen. The Bible was written to teach us about the way of salvation and to teach us about the ways of God. His ways are not our ways. They're not like our ways. They're above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts, and his ways are above our ways. That's what Isaiah said. But if we are fully, to fully experience the salvation God intended, we have to, we must learn obedience to the word of God. Jesus said that if you love me, obey my word. And so we live in a whole culture today, even a church culture in the Western world, where we pick and choose what we're going to obey and what we're not going to obey. That's dangerous. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my words. And so we're told all these things we're not supposed to do. Well, what are we supposed to do? Looking at our early part of our text, 22 and 23, throw off the old nature. What's he say? Verse 22, throw off your old sin nature, and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit, let the Spirit, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Now, that's a powerful thing to do. Let the Spirit have His perfect work in you. Let the Spirit teach you When you hear the still small voice and you feel this prompting that this is something, maybe you said something you shouldn't have said and you feel that little tinge of guilt, the Spirit is working on your conscience telling you, you need to repent of that. I don't want you talking that way. Years back when I was in sales at the company I worked for, morale was bad, people moaned and complained all the time. I made a good living, a really good living there, was good in sales. And uh, being paid by commission was good for me and my family. And there was a time that things got bad. The company did something stupid. And, you know, I think maybe he didn't pay me my commission for some special product I sold, uh, which was a significant amount of money. Uh, and third paycheck still wasn't on there. Each time they tell me, oh, it made a mistake. It'll be on next week, uh, you know, next two weeks from now. Oh, and then, so, you know, I got a little tiffed and I complained. I started griping and And the other guys heard me. And the Lord heard me. And uh, and I I left there, I went home feeling justified. I I have a right to complain. And the Holy Spirit said, you set a really bad example for everybody else. And I thought, oh God, what am I going to have to do? (laughs) It was painful. You have to go back to those men and you have to publicly apologize to them and ask their forgiveness. God, you don't really want me to do that. What if I'm just sorry and ask you to forgive me? And, you know, the Holy Spirit prompted me. There was, there was more that was lost than what you realize. We're to be living epistles to be read of all men, reflecting who God is. And I, I went back in next day and that room was packed full of guys it was the check-in room and they're counting up their receipts calculating them filling out their final end of day uh, turning in their cash and their receipts and their checks and and it was packed people standing waiting for a place to do their standing in line and I said can I have everybody's attention please and it got quiet it was very noisy they turned around and looked at me like what in the world and I just said you know uh, yesterday 
I was griping and complaining about the company, and I was very angry. And most of you guys know that I'm a born-again Christian, that I walk with Christ, and that was wrong of me to do. I apologize and ask you to forgive me for having a bad attitude. And right away, oh, no, you know, you don't have to do that. They deserve, you know, yeah. And I said, no, no. I don't care what they did or didn't do that was wrong. And I wouldn't have any. They're trying to make me feel, no. I said, please forgive me. And everybody got quiet. And then those two turning around and shoulders slumped and doing this. Made them very uncomfortable. But it made me more uncomfortable. But, you know, after I did it, I felt vindicated by God. See? Obeying God. Sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut. We don't have to say everything that pops into our head, okay? There's an old song we used to sing back then, and this went through my mind uh, when I did it, is I found a new way of living, I found a new life divine, I have the fruit of the Spirit abiding, abiding in the vine, and when we get off that vine is when we start getting into trouble. So abide in the vine so that the life of the Holy Spirit can pump into you so that the juices that are going to make you healthy and strong and bear fruit are going to be going from the vine into your body and into your soul so that you can be everything God wants you to be. The imagery here is that we, in this scripture, is that we must throw off the grave clothes. It's called grave clothes, really referring to grave clothes and to our old sin nature. And this is best illustrated in John chapter 11 when Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, died and Jesus heard that he was sick. His sister sent word to him, can you come right away? He's sick unto death. And Jesus delayed and then he finally was going. He says, well, we'll go back to Bethany now. And, uh, and one of the disciples said, hey, Jesus, um, you know, I wonder how he... He says, well, he's, he's sleeping. He said, well, if he's sleeping, he's doing well. Why are we going? You know, he's sleeping, that's good. And he says, no, no, he's dead. And so they get back to town, and there's a funeral weeping, professional weepers and mourners are out crying, and, you know, and uh, Martha and Mary are sad. But when Jesus comes into town, they come running up to him, and, and Jesus... Uh, says that he's sleeping and the, gray, the stone is rolled in front of the tomb. It's been four days. And, and he said, uh, told him to roll the stone away. And Martha told Jesus, hey, Jesus, in case you don't know, it's been four days. If only you'd come the, when you've been called, this wouldn't be happening. But he said, you know, he says, by now he's, he's going to, what she said, he's going to be stinking. But what she meant is he's going to be smelling like a rotting corpse. He's starting to decay. But Jesus ignored her, and he called out Lazarus from the tomb, come forth. And here's this bundled up, mummified guy comes walking or maybe hopping, I don't know, and he's standing at the doorway of the tomb alive. And I can guarantee you that knowing God the way I do, he did not smell like a rotting corpse. But he was still bound up. And when he's bound up, he couldn't get his hands out to unbind himself. Can I tell you when people get saved that are bound up and they smell like a rotting corpse because of their sin is that they need the help of other believers to unloose them. That's called discipleship. That's called helping people to grow in their relationship with Jesus, helping them to see who Jesus is and understand the ways of God. Jesus says, loose him. And the other guys were there and said, hey, let's uh, take this stuff off. And they loosed him, and he walked out alive and well. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ has the power over death, physical death, that he can raise the dead still today? 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he still saves people today. He still loses people from the stinking grave clothes. And really, when the Word of God talks about this in Ephesians and sister verses and passages in Colossians, it's like you need to take off these stinking, rotting, smell-like-corpse clothes, burial clothes, because you're not dead, you're alive. Get it away from you. Take it off. And some of those we just talked about, the lying, the cheating, the lust, the sexual sin, the drugs, alcohol, lying, stealing, gossip, and backbiting, and anger, and unforgiveness are things from the old life, from the dead life that you've walked out of. I love that song we sing, I ran out, he, I ran out of the grave. When he called my name, I got up and ran out of the grave. I didn't stay in the grave. Who would stay in the grave when you're called out from death to life? The whole point is here is that Lazarus no longer belonged to the old dominion of death, for he was now alive, so why go about wearing grave clothes? Take off the old and put on the new. The old clothes stink like death. The new clothes smell like the aroma of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone, say anyone, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. It's all a beginning. It has begun and we're off and running. Somebody say amen. Everything has changed and is being changed as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the journey of progressive sanctification where He changes us from glory to glory, from faith to faith. As we walk out of that grave daily and take up the cross and follow him. The renewing of the mind, meaning that we don't think like we used to think. Things have changed. I don't think like I used to think. And that's a good thing. We don't use the same language that we used to use. Although sometimes in this culture, we live in a profane world where everything in entertainment media and everything in the office and the factory uh, is, is uh, filthy language. And even among women, Used to be an exception there. Filthy mouths come from filthy thoughts. Unclean thinking. Go to the source. Renew the mind. Let it be transformed and washed by the water of the word. And put on the new nature, secondly. Put on. You know, God doesn't want you running. I don't think Lazarus ran around naked after he got the grave clothes off. You know, hopefully somebody had a, had a robe they could throw on them or their outer robe and just, hey, here, borrow this till you, you get home. You know, God doesn't want us around naked. That's shameful. Put on the new nature. Take off the old, put on new, the clothes that God has ordained for you to wear and uh, uh, that do not smell like death and they clothe you properly. Put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And when we take off the old garments, stained by sin and unrighteousness, we put on the new garments that are spotless and clean, reflecting the condition, reflecting the condition, reflecting the condition of our soul once we find Christ as Savior. Things have changed. Our soul has changed. The mind, will, and emotions that make up the soul are changed and are being changed and renewed. Ephesians 2, 1, uh, beginning there, it says that, and if he made you alive, and, and, he, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, the old sin nature, children of wrath, just as others. And then there is verse 4, but God. This is not on your overhead, but God. Say, but God. I'm glad God steps in and makes the difference. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loves us, even when, even when we were, we were, used to be, past tense, dead in trespasses. He made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us, made us to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are, say we are, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has saved us, changed us, and He's called us to serve Him. If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, Ephesians 2.1 says. If you've been raised with Christ. Slide 13, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also will appear, we will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly or worldly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Put those things away from you. When we sin and stain our new clothes, it's not if, but when. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back as I'm finishing up my last point. Uh, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Aren't you glad that we have a God who not only saves us, forgives us, writes our name in the book of life, but who also cleanses us when we do sin because we still live in a fallen world and fallen nature that we do battle with. He says if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness and unrighteousness. So we have an advocate. We have a God who loves us, saves us, and he keeps us saved. My third point is remember who you are. And I can't even say enough about this. Remember who you are. Sometimes when you're in the midst of colleagues or friends or even strangers who are profane and are talking filthy talk and mocking, sometimes when we're not where we should be in our growth, we blend in to that culture. Some people do. You say, well, I don't, Pastor. Well, that's great. It's because you've grown in your faith. But some people just blend in. They don't speak up. They don't say anything. But the Word of God says, don't bring sorrow, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the, by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you be saved on the day of redemption. Remember who you are. That I'm no longer the Tim Hawthorne pre-salvation, B.C., before Christ. That I'm a new creature. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. I'm not the same person I used to be. People who used to know me back then who didn't realize or don't realize that I have changed 
received Christ and have changed, still think of me back in the days when I used to party and I used to drink. But now, I'm a new creature. I'm different. And some, you know, I know my brother was a member of a really wild fraternity in college. And several years ago, I said, you know, you stay in touch with your, your friends, you know, and he said, well, on Facebook, they try, you know, I make friends and stuff. But he says, you know, I just, I don't, he says, they think, still thinking like they're frat boys in college. They still talk like that. And, you know, and uh, he told them that he's a believer, but they just, you know, oh, Rick, you were the biggest partier there, Rick. But he said, Tim, I'm not like that anymore. And I said, thank God. Thank God. An identity found in Christ is free from the demands and the whims of this world. This is an identity that is not achieved. It's not achieved by belonging to the correct family or through performing well, belonging to the right church group, going to the right Bible study, but it is received from God through Christ when we're saved and when we're continually being changed by Him. We are loved And now in Christ, it is literally true that the person we adore most in the universe loves us the most. Do you ever think about God adores you? I was kidding with my wife the other day. Well, not really kidding. She didn't answer the question properly. And we're sitting there in the chairs, and I said, hey. She said, yeah. And I said, don't you adore me? (laughs) Now, I, you know, and she says, well... I love you. I said, but don't you adore me? I mean, to know me is to adore me, right? And, you know, and she wouldn't play along. You know, I'm better than Dennis, Pastor Dennis. He goes home from a men's Bible study and calls his wife a heifer. If you were in that Bible study, you'll know what he's talking about. But, uh, you know, he came in the next day with uh, some bruises and cuts across his head. So... How to remember your identity in Christ? How do you do that? You need to know who you are in Christ. What the Word of God says about you. Listen, what the Word of God says about us is what really happened when we trusted Christ. We are forgiven. We are redeemed from the slave market of sin. We are forgiven and redeemed means that no matter how checkered my past was or your past is or how poor uh, my future decisions, I'm forgiven. God has cleansed me and forgiven me. He's chosen to wipe my past away. I'm no longer slave. You're no longer a slave. I love that song, we are no, long, no longer slaves because he's redeemed of, off the slave market of sin by paying a debt that we could never pay. The blood of his son, the blood of Christ has cleansed us and redeemed us and was the perfect atonement for the forgiveness of our sins. He released us from slavery of sin and death. There is no condemnation. I am under no longer the condemnation that I was under before Christ. I'm a child of God. I used to be a child of the devil and do the things that the devil wanted me to do, but now I'm a child of God and I seek to do the things he wants me to do. Uh, You are made and we are made. I am made for a purpose. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen, uh, uh, being in high high esteem, better than silver or gold, better than great treasures. I'm a child of the king. I'm adopted into the household of God. 
He's put a, a robe of righteousness upon me, and he's given me a ring for my finger and shoes for my feet. I belong to him. That's my identity. You know what, what you hear in the culture is I identify as being black. Well, they're white, but they, I identify as being a Native American. Well, you're not a Native American. That's science. Follow science, they tell us. Follow science. I identify with, with, being, with my sexuality. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a, a man in a woman's body or vice versa. I identify with that. I identify. Well, you know what I identify with? I identify with Christ. That's where my identity is. I don't identify with my sexuality. I don't identify with my family even. I identify with Christ Jesus, the one who saved me. In The Lion King, some of you remember that old movie, The Lion King. You remember the movie, The Lion King? It tells the story of a young lion who is the son of the king. The lion runs away when his father is accidentally killed and the cub is made to feel responsible for the death of his father. He takes refuge with a pair of insectivores and we see the king... The king of beasts reduced to a life of eating bugs. And then one day, then at one point, his dead father appears to him and reminds him of who he is. Our heavenly father will appear to us when we forget who we are and by the spirit of God will tell us, remember who you are. You're my child. I didn't create you for this. I created you to bear the image and the marks in your body, the marks of Christ. Remember who you are. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you that we are forgiven. That, Lord, our past is gone. Lord, I thank you that when we trusted in Christ, we have a new beginning we have a new heart, and we have the righteousness of Christ as a robe to cover us. And Lord, our sins are washed away, our names written in the Lamb's book of life, because we are bought with a great price. We are bought by you. And the Lord, though we want to be slaves of Christ, Lord, there is no onus, no burden, no pain in being a slave of Christ, only freedom. And so, God, I pray today, Lord, for those who are struggling in their walk with you, Lord, that you would remind them of who they are. Remind them that their name, Lord, according to your word, you've given them a new name, Lord, because they've taken on the name associated with Christ. God, I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray for strength and encouragement from the Word of God. And Lord, that you would propel us, Lord, because we choose to follow you and to obey your Word, propel us into growth. That Lord, when the culture continues to shift and evil continues to rise, that we will be counted among the righteous and not blend in or roll up our hands, fall up our hands and quit. But, Lord, we'll raise our hands and praise the Lord and look unto the hills whence cometh our help. God, I pray this in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 Would, you, would you stand? We're not going to do an altar service today. We want to be wise and cautious with uh, so many 
coming down with COVID, but I'd like you to raise your hand if you need prayer, healing, any kind of need right now. We're going to pray for you right now. So keep your hands up so I can see them. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Let's join together in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, you saw, Lord, the hands go up all over this congregation. You saw people who expressed by the raising of their hand that they have a need that they would ask you to address, that you would help them with it. Lord, whether it be for a touch in their body for healing, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would release gifts of healing and restoration to bodies that are sick. Lord, for those that are not here that are struggling with COVID, we pray for the healing power of Christ to overtake them and overshadow them and drive sickness far from their body and raise them up, Lord, healthy and strong to serve you. We pray for those who've raised their hands for other needs that, Lord, you know, even though they were not spoken or shared, but you know. And God, would you just meet them at their point of need today as only you can do? And Lord, we give you glory because you are an awesome God. You are powerful and strong. Your name, Lord, brings terror into the hearts of every demon of hell. And God, we thank you that by that name we are saved and given authority uh, spiritual authority over all the power of the devil. We thank you for that scripture we read today that, Lord, after you saved us, you seated us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus far above rule, principality, and power. That, Lord, the devil is under our feet. And we thank you for that and we give you glory for it. Now bless this congregation both here in this building and also those who are watching online with a special touch of your presence and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you as you leave today. Give him praise as you're leaving. Amen. Amen.